We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. mentioned in episode 462 that I'm doing a new training program called How to Be a Transformative Principal. It's for those who are in their first three years of being a principal or assistant principals or aspiring principals who want to level up their game right now. Join me at jethrojones.com slash how the number two B. How to be. We'll see you there. That's jethrojones.com slash how to be. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have Lorea, Dr. Lorea Martinez. She is the award-winning founder of Heart in Mind Consulting, a company that is dedicated to helping schools and organizations integrate social emotional learning in their practices, products, and learning communities. An educator who has worked with, with children and adults internationally, Dr. Martinez is a faculty member at Columbia University Teachers College, educating aspiring principals in emotional intelligence. Previously, she was a special education teacher and an administrator. Dr. Martinez, welcome to Transformative Principal. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to chat with you today. This is a topic that I am very much interested in. I think we spend a lot of time in education focused on the wrong things, especially academics, that we put too much stock in our end-of-the-year test scores and other scores and don't put enough stock in 
our social emotional scores that we don't even take tests on. So let's let's start there by talking about why social emotional learning is is so important and emotional intelligence is so important. Yes, that's that is a great place to start. And I would start by saying that there is a false dichotomy between academics and social emotional learning. So many educators in schools have the perception that you can either teach academics or social emotional learning, when in fact, you can do both, you can integrate teaching both things at the same time. And social emotional skills are going to support students to learn academic content uh, in more meaningful ways. So all the research that has been done around effective neuroscience shows that we cannot have thoughts without feeling and vice versa. So a big part of social emotional learning and why it's so important is because it builds the foundation for how we can become more engaged and purposeful learners. Yeah, I, I like that. So we can't have thoughts without feelings. And that's such a interesting idea because it I think it empowers us to recognize the power of feelings in all the other things that we're doing. How would you respond to that statement? Yeah, so feelings and emotions are part of all of our cognitive processing. So a lot of the, again, the research that has been done looking at what happens in the brain when we have to Uh, remember information, learn new concepts, being able to focus uh, maybe in a noisy classroom, all of those things involve emotions. So our limbic system is, uh, is being used when we try to use our cognitive processing. So a big part of what the social emotional learning field is trying to do is Um, dismantle some of those misconceptions that we have around how the brain learns and being able to bring emotions into the classroom intentionally instead of telling students, oh, wait, you're here in the classroom and now leave your emotions out the door because you need to focus. It's like it's the opposite. We want to make sure that students are bringing their emotions into the classroom. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. How do we help them bring their emotions into the classroom I, I, I think of what my teachers would say is that that seems like it is distracting from the work that we're doing. So help us understand that. Yeah, so a big part of this is teaching students literally how the brain works and how emotions influence how they make decisions and their ability to focus. So when we teach students self-awareness and being able to name their emotions and identify what they feel, they can then develop tools in order to navigate those emotions, right? Many times, um, and I've heard teachers say, oh, please calm down or your energy is too high, but we don't give students the tools to do that effectively. So a big part of um, bringing emotions into the classroom is teaching students self-awareness and, and self-management. But that's not the only, the only way. There's another important aspect, which is, designing with emotions in mind. So one of the questions that I like to ask educators is, how do you want your students to feel when they are in your classroom, right? And, you know, teachers go and write a few emotional words for for what those feelings um, that they want for their students. 
And then I ask them to look back at their instructional decisions and how they teach and see how those are aligned, right? So many times we don't plan for those emotions that we want students to experience, right? Because we are really focused on that academic content. Um, so a big part of thinking about SCLS, it's not this dichotomy, but it's really how we teach takes into consideration designing with those emotions in mind. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that designing with those emotions in mind. I want to, I do want to come back to that and hopefully we, we will come back. Sometimes I say that and then we don't actually come back to it, but, <laughs> but I want to touch on the thing that you said before is that, you know, you mentioned that you've, you've heard teachers say, please calm down or your emotions too high, but then we don't give them the tools of how to do that. So what are some of the tools that we should use to, to help kids learn how to regulate themselves a little bit better? Yeah, so one of the strategies um, in SCL is to teach these skills explicitly. And, you know, before the field was as, you know, I would say that it has grown exponentially over the last, you know, five, six years, you know, it was thought that those skills, maybe students had to learn them at home or in other contexts, but it seemed like there was no place in the school setting to teach these skills. Uh, but today we know that we need to teach these skills intentionally and explicitly in order for students to develop the attitudes, the knowledge that they need in order to access that academic content more in more meaningful ways. So teachers can find some time, and this sometimes it's during their morning meeting or their advisory period, if they are in, in middle high school, but a time when students are going to come together and learn about emotions, again, learning about the brain, learning what happens when you are not able to process your emotions, what happens when uh, your amygdala is hijacking you, right? And you are kind of losing control of your behavior, of your responses. And then going through different strategies that students may use. So Mindful breathing is something that we can teach to our students, uh, taking a break, removing yourself from the situation. And that can be done in the context of students' age, right? Like if you are working with teenagers, you want to find situations that are meaningful to their everyday situations and try to help them to reflect on, okay, what are the pros and cons of different reactions? And if you are in that situation, what can you do? So a little bit anticipating what may happen and then offer those strategies. And at the end of the day, we are all different individuals. So not all the skills are going to work well for everybody, right? So you want to make sure that you are exposing students to a variety of tools so they can find the ones that really work for them. Yeah. And it, it seems like our news media could use some amygdala shrinkage as well that, you know, their amygdalas are kind of controlling everything about yes, them right now. Absolutely. So that we should, we could take this beyond education and, and help our adults manage it also. So this, this is a, it, being able to explicitly teach those skills is so important. And th this is an area where I think there needs to be a great partnership between parents and the school that if the school is just teaching it, that's one thing. And like, sure they should, but if the kids are not having reinforcement or able to talk about it at home, then one of the things that I've learned it, from being an educator is that 
we can't out teach what's happening in the home that if we are not in partnership with the parents, then we could do all the good in the world, but the kids are going to go back home and that culture at home is so much more powerful as it should be than anything we could teach. We really need to be partners with parents much more. How would you suggest helping parents be part of this conversation so that it's not us just trying something on our own and not knowing if it's ever connecting or making the mark so that the kid's behavior is actually changing in other situations as well? Yes, um, that's a really important question. And I'm, I'm going to say something before I answer your question directly, which is the importance of adults practicing these skills. Mm-hmm. So something that I often say is that we cannot teach what we don't practice. So as educators, we need to be able to have clarity on how we are um, using our skills, how we are noticing our own emotions, how we are making choices, how we are applying empathy, our relationships with our students, with other adults. This is something that is almost a, a prerequisite before we can even engage with our students. And that's something that CASA, which is the Collaborative for Academic Social Emotional Learning and one of the organizations that has been doing SEL work uh, for the longest time in the U.S., they saw doing research on the districts with a higher number of students when those districts were skipping the teacher in terms of SEL implementation, they didn't have, the results were not as great as those districts that really pay attention to the adult competency. So that's an important component that we can, as teachers, even before we can think about teaching to students, we need to think about ourselves. And then from that position where we really have a deeper understanding of how we put those skills into practice, that's the place where we can engage with the parents. And I think with parents, I've seen two, kind of like two tendencies when when things don't work out. One is underestimating what parents are doing at home or or maybe coming from a place of I'm the teacher and I know better. And that happens a lot when we have the dichotomy of um, white teachers working with parents that are uh, black or or, uh, Latinos or indigenous Right? So having that, that lens that parents are not doing enough. Um, and sometimes there is a cultural difference and we need to, by learning about our families, by learning about what are some of their values, we can build those bridges of connection right? and understand, oh, what are some of the values? How do you teach these things at home? John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with Regard to Teacher Well-Being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. 
Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. And in other cases, there's no communication. I know that in, in my work supporting schools, one of the questions that I ask is, how are you communicating with parents that you are teaching an SCL curriculum and why this is important? And many times that is the last piece of the puzzle that schools put in place, right? Because first they are uh, concerned about doing the teaching and maybe about you know measuring the skills or implementing at the school level, but the parent piece is the one of the last ones that they put in. And actually, it's, as you were mentioning, so important that they build that collaboration. Because I think once parents, for those parents that maybe they are not familiar with SCL, not because they don't know the skills, but because they call it something else or they, they give it a different name. So when you are, as a, as a school, you are increasing that communication and saying, these are the skills, this is how we are teaching, and then finding ways to bring parents into the conversation. That's when really students are able not only to internalize those skills, but also to generalize them and be able to use them not only in school, but in any other environment that they, they engage with on a daily basis. In the soccer field, when they go to uh, other activities, when they go to church, in any community that they engage with, they can use the skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to address that piece about the parents briefly, that if we take the opinion that we know better because we're teachers and more educated, it's really damaging to do that, first of all. But second, then we're totally dismissing the culture that they have in their homes already, which they have, whether it's positive or negative or not, doesn't matter. They have a culture already, and we should, as best we can, seek to support and help that culture in a positive way, even if we don't agree with it and don't think it's the right way of doing things. So I'm going to take something very controversial, which is spanking your kids and how we could bring that in to the, not bring it into the school setting, but bring in that parent to the school setting and have a conversation about how to do that right and do it in the best way possible without saying what you're doing is wrong or we're going to report you. Because as soon as you do that, you set up an adversarial relationship and that's not ever, one, going to get them to change. And two, it's going to make them distrust you and it's going to make it even worse. So in that example, uh, as we're talking about it, um, we may not believe that spanking your kids is the right thing to do, but we have to recognize that's where the parent is. So rather than saying you're doing it wrong and this is what you should do instead, we have to say, Tell me about why you do it and when you do it and have a conversation and then say, what do you think the effects of that are on your kid? Well, it gets them to make better choices. Okay, thanks. I'm I'm glad that you found something that works to make better choices. And let's continue to talk about other ways that we can help them make better choices. Are there other things that you do sometimes before you get to spanking that actually help? Well, this does and this does. Okay, great. Can I offer a suggestion of maybe doing this as well? So rather than saying you're wrong from the word go, you start to build commonality, build support, build camaraderie, and then you can start teaching them some other ways of doing that. What's your critique of that approach? No, I think that you are right on. I think that in in any scenario, one of the, like, 
emotional intelligence 101 is when uh, people when people feel uh, pushed, they resist. That's like you know EQ 101. And with parents, in the example you were uh, sharing with us, is the same thing. If parents feel that tension that you are against them, or that you know you you have a feeling of superiority because you are the educator, whatever tension they may perceive. Any message that comes from you may it's going to be received from the defensive end instead of with curiosity to see okay what is the teacher trying to teach me, right? So I think that by creating the space and creating the environment where what you want is is lead with understanding, um, that's going to be a better place to create that allyship in order to support that student more effectively, right? Because as a teacher, you may be with that teacher one year, but the child is gonna be with that parent for the long term, right? So I think that that as you were saying, starting with understanding and then trying to uh, create that environment whereas the parent community can come together and learn about these things in a supportive way. I think that um, many parents would agree with me, and I'm a parent myself. I have two two kids in elementary school. That you don't, nobody teaches you how to be a parent, right? You try the best that you can, and many times we have behavior patterns that come into place in our parenting that may come from the way that we were raised. Uh, and we have particular things that trigger us that our kids do. So by helping parents unpack some of those behavior patterns or triggers, we are helping not only the parent as a, as a learning adult, but also the environment that the parent's going to create at home with the child. So again, I think that creating that you know, triangle of teacher, parent, and, and student can really benefit students and adults developing these social-emotional skills. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've made a lot of mistakes in dealing with social emotional intelligence with parents and with students. And one of the things that I, that I did well though, was in dealing with a parent, um, who, where I did need to report them to child protective services because they were harming their child. And, um, a lot of times, you know, we talk in schools about how we keep that confidential and we don't uh, confirm nor deny or whatever. And in this situation, I just really felt that this parent needed intervention because what they were doing was really bad, but they also had a really good heart and wanted to help. And so I said, you've, I heard from your student that this was happening. Is this what's going on at home? And the parent said, yes, that's, that is accurate. And I said, I have to report this to the state because it's not okay. And I can't let you treat a child this way and not do anything about it. So I have to intervene. I'm not doing this because I think you're a bad person or anything like that, but it's something that I have to do. I'm required by law to do it. And I want you to know that it's not because I don't like you or anything like that. It's because the child's not safe. And do you agree that the child's not safe? And they're like, yeah, I don't think that it's good for them to be in this situation, but I don't know what else to do. And thankfully in that situation, I think it's because we had built the relationship beforehand that I could say this to them. And then what was amazing was I could go talk to the parent afterward and say, how are you doing with that thing? And talk to them and and give them support and encouragement that they weren't alone and help them through their own recovery through that process, which was 
a heartbreaking thing to watch, but also a really empowering thing to see an adult go through that and and know that she was making her life better by her own choice rather than because she was being forced to because we had to get the authorities involved. And the children never got taken taken out of the home. There were not any, like, she didn't get arrested or anything like that. No citations, nothing. And I think that that was largely because our school had an emphasis on working with parents rather than overpowering parents. And, and that parent that you're describing, the fact that they were able to say, I don't know what else to do, right. that is a high level of awareness. That means that this person can see that behavior and say, this is not okay. I don't have any other tools. So that's a cry for help, right? So as as you know, if you think about the school as a as a as a community, right? You can be a bridge to at least indicate to that parent these are some resources in a community where you can go and get some some support, right? Maybe get some therapy, some counseling, or other resources that we know communities have and make that connection. But if you had come to the situation from a from a very judgmental perspective and just say, this is wrong and please don't do it anymore or, or whatnot, but without asking the question and, and asking, is this what's happening and, you know, what's happening, then you wouldn't know that that person had that level of awareness and you you it, the situation could have stopped there, right? So even in situations that are difficult, when we are practicing our social emotional skills, we are able to come more from a from a place of calm and confidence and choose more our actions and our behaviors, the language that we use, instead of reacting to different situations, right? And I feel like that's a place where it's becoming harder and harder uh, nowadays with the situations that we have in schools with the pandemic and, and the lack of, you know, resources and, and subs and a lot of quarantines going on. A lot of different challenges that educators are experiencing is becoming harder to be in that place of calm and, and confidence. But we know that when we are able to create that for ourselves, the things that we do on a regular basis, the different interactions that we have with people are going to be more productive and more positive because we're able to pay more attention to how we engage with others. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So my last question, um, Laurie, that I ask is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? So one thing that they can do is to pay attention to their own social emotional capacity, to check in with themselves, notice how they are feeling, what's happening for them, and approach those emotions from a place of curiosity. Emotions are data, they are information that provide, they, they provide those details of what's happening inside. And when we don't pay attention to our emotions, we're missing that information. So maybe just, you know, before they start the day, five minutes to check in with themselves. Um, and then throughout the day, find a minute here or there to do that process of checking in with themselves. I think that can give them a good foundation for again, be able to respond to the all the challenges that they face on a regular basis instead of becoming very reactive. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much for being here. This has been great chatting with you. Um, where can people get a hold of you if they'd like to learn more from you? 
Yeah, so uh, they can go to my website at loreamartinez.com. I publish a new book for educators in February. It's called Teaching with the Heart in Mind. And I have many resources on my website that are free, free downloadables. And I've also been blogging for um, more than seven years. So a lot of free content on my website. And then on social media, hang out on Twitter. My handle is loreamart. And on Facebook at Lorea Martinez SCL. Okay, great. Well, we'll have links to contact you in the show notes at uh, transformativeprinciple.org. And again, thank you very much for being here. Uh, great chatting with you, and thanks for uh, helping us learn from you today. Thank you for having me. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers' time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.